And so uh, if you are new with us today and you're thinking to yourself, where are my kids going and where will I find them? After we finish uh, the service this morning, just beyond the exit on the second the second level here, the second floor, there is a room that we call our, our kids' crew room, and the kids will be there in that room, and they will be uh, gathered together this morning for kids' crew. You can claim them uh, there, and uh, you might even get the chance to meet some of the leaders and, and others who are investing in them uh, as we do that this morning. Romans chapter 1, of course, is going to be our text as we're working our way through the book of Romans together. It's interesting that this particular passage speaks in, in these opening words, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So when I was, when I was studying and, and reflecting, thinking on that this week, I was thinking about a time in my life when I've been ashamed. Have you ever had a moment where you felt shame over something that you had done? You probably do, right? At least I hope you do. At least I hope maybe you have a conscience about uh, the things that you've done. And, and no doubt there are times in our lives that we're not proud of, things that we've done, things we've said, maybe Uh, ways that we've acted that we would look back on and say, you know, I'm not proud of that. But it goes a little bit further when we use that word shame even. We think about what it means. And, and, and I suppose there's, shame is a broad, a, a broad term and, and it has a lot of understanding, a lot of meaning that we might attach to that. But I, for one, was thinking of a story when I was 14 years old. So it was Christmas time of my, four, my, uh, my eighth grade year. I was 14. And uh, I wanted this particular pair of shoes this year for Christmas, that particular year. And they weren't just any shoes. I've told this story before, so some of you know where I'm going with this. But the story was about a pair of Magic Johnson Converse basketball shoes that I thought were just it. Because this is in the, in the early 1990s. And, uh, of course, Magic Johnson was kind of in his prime and before all the things that happened to him related to his health. And, and, and he was... For me, he was my favorite basketball player. I thought he was just it. And there was this particular pair of shoes that Converse had begun to market that I suppose was sort of their way to try to, to get into the, the market of the uh, celebrity endorsement of a, speak, a sneaker line, right? So there were the Jordans in those days. And Michael Jordan, that was kind of a big deal because he had his own shoe that bore his name and his logo and his image. And so Converse tried to do a similar thing with these Magic Johnson shoes. And that's really what I wanted. And I made it known to everybody in my family that that's what I wanted. But I especially made it known to my grandparents. See, because we had this, we had this unwritten understanding with my grandparents. This is my, my dad's parents. That, that before Christmas time, you would go out with them and we would go shopping and we would, you know, you'd, you'd just be browsing. You'd just be looking at all the things. And so when we were younger, it was all the toys, all the great toys and the latest, greatest, this and, and the other. And then on Christmas Day, the things that you wanted, you were going to get at Grandma's house. And so I made it known. We went shopping and we went through and, and I made it known that this was what I wanted, this particular pair of shoes. And so I had every expectation. What made it worse was the fact that under the tree that morning at Grandma's house was a box that was, clearly it was a shoe box. I mean, clearly it was. And so I thought, that's it. That, those are the shoes. I'm getting what I asked for. This is going to be a great Christmas. And so it's my turn to open presents. And I'm opening the present and I open and it's a box. All right. It's a shoe box, but it wasn't 
the, the shoe box that I was expecting. And inside of it weren't a pair of shoes, but rather a note. And the note said, go look in the garage. Your present is in the garage. So I go to the garage and there was a bike, a new mountain bike for me, which was really a great gift, except for it wasn't at all what I wanted. And so I was disappointed and my face showed my disappointment and uh, I, my body language and, and even my, my, be, my behavior, my actions showed the level of my disappointment. Here I had been given something that was a great gift, a, a, really a, a fantastic gift that I got a lot of use of over the years. In fact, I still have that bicycle today. I'm never going to let it go. Uh, it's, I say I have it. It's at my parents' house still. But, you know, all of us grown kids that got stuff at mom and dad's house know that it's still ours, right? Because it's coming to me someday uh, whether I want it or not. But I do want it. Uh, and, and so I got that bike, a great gift, but I was disappointed, and my behavior reflected that. Later that day, after lunch, uh, there, you know, we were kind of cleaning up and arranging things, and as kids, we were running around the house and playing with cousins, and, and I went through the kitchen, and as my grandmother was standing over the sink doing dishes, she was crying. And I said to my mom something about, why's grandma crying? And she said, well, she's upset because of how you're acting, and uh, she, she feels like she should have gotten you the gift that you wanted. And in an instant, I felt this tall. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, just this wave of guilt and shame came over me. That here it was my grandmother, who to me was one of the most dear, one of the most treasured women in all the world. And to think that I made her feel that way. I mean, I felt lower than low. I felt just, I, I felt so small and so terrible. And I apologized for my behavior. And here I am nearly 30 years later, and I still remember the, the feelings that I had in that moment because I acted poorly, and, and I'm ashamed of how I acted. You know, the truth is, all of us have moments in life that we would look back on and that we would have a degree of shame for our behavior. And when Paul writes here about not being ashamed, I want, to, I want to access that emotion for a moment. I, I, want to, I want you to think about the emotion that you have. Now, I'm not wanting you to associate shame with the gospel. That's, that's certainly not my point. But what I, I want you to understand is that what Paul is saying is, I don't have to carry that shame, that emotion, that guilt, that pain, all of those things. I don't have to carry that because of the power of the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. I'm not ashamed of my past. I'm not ashamed of who I've been. I'm not ashamed of what I've done because I've been set free from all of that through the saving work of Jesus. That we are, we are forgiven. We are set free. We are released from all of that. And what's more, we don't have to be ashamed of this gospel message. We don't have to live in fear of this message. We don't have to try even to prop up the message of the gospel. Now, there's something to be said for uh, an apologetic of the faith. There's a lot of great things to be said for knowing the truth and being able to defend the truth and rational and philosophical arguments for the validity of the Bible and the validity of the message of the Bible. But understand this point above and beyond all of that. The Word of God is alive, and it has stood the test of time, and it will continue to stand the test of time. You don't have to worry that there's going to be some truth, some secret that's hidden, some linchpin that's going to be found along the way that's going to be the magic thread that is tugged on, and, and suddenly all of the truth about the gospel unravels. Because I'm here to tell you, there isn't such a thing. 
The gospel is the power of God given to us, revealed to us, both through the life and the witness of Jesus and also revealed through the scriptures by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as it says, from faith for faith, that we may know God and that we may live by faith. And so Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And we set up a little bit of that background in last week's message. You can go backward and find that in our podcast on our webpage or on our live stream archive and those things if, if you missed that. And you can get caught up. But we talked about the fact that there, there were divisions among the church. And a lot of that had to do with the historical setting. That in AD 49, the Jews were kicked out of Rome. And by the time that this is being written, about a decade or so later, that the Jews had begun to return to Rome. But what happened in the meantime is that the Gentiles, who were a part of the church, continued to grow. And the, and the church grew and it flourished. And now there were these tensions between the Jews and the the Gentiles over the Christian faith. They didn't do everything the same. They didn't see everything the same. They had a, a different cultural, a different worldview lens through which they saw things, and yet they were believing in the same truths, trusting in the same Savior, and they were working to try to make it work in the life of the church. And Paul, knowing this, writes to them to encourage them, and he even addresses some of those very tensions in this. Romans 1, 16 and 17 in so many ways serve as sort of the, the thesis for the book of Romans. If you were to read the rest of the book, in, in some way, everything else that Paul's going to write about is going to fit under this framework or this umbrella. That they would understand the power of the gospel, that is, that is the power of God for salvation. That they would understand that they don't have to be ashamed, that the gospel is available to everyone. And what's more, it's given so that we may know God and trust Him from faith for faith. So that we may access the righteousness of God by faith. In Jesus, And that's what the letter of Romans is all about. And so as we are to understand that, we, we first we need to understand this truth. And so there are three key ways that I want us to see this today as we study the power, the message of the gospel. The, the first is the truth of the gospel. That as we read these verses, the first thing that, that stands out is the truth of the gospel witness. In these verses and also throughout the rest of the book of Romans, we see the truth of the gospel laid out for us. That there are truths here, key truths, biblical truths, theological truths. I shared with you last week that Romans, the book of Romans, is perhaps the most complete, systematic work of, the, of theology that we have in any of the New Testament writings. Now, it's not a systematic theology. That, that was not its purpose. It doesn't intend to lay out and deal with in a systematic way all of the doctrines of the faith, all of the, the doctrines of, of, of Christian belief, and yet many of those doctrines are contained in the book of Romans because it's working through these foundational truths and the application of that truth in the life of the early church. And just as it speaks to them, it continues to speak to us. In fact, many of you know in the book of Romans what's known as the Romans Road. If you've got a, your Bible physically open, let's, let's turn through some of these scriptures together. If you're looking on perhaps a digital device, a, a phone, a tablet, or something else, then you can just scroll through and, and jump through to these scriptures. Go to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and look at Romans 3.23. I'm just going to point to these and read them quickly. What's known as the Romans Road, which points us to the truth of the gospel. Romans 3.23 says... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Keep going to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, in which we read, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the next chapter, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. 
We read that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, you can keep turning and you can read. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is the plan of God for salvation laid out clearly by Paul in this letter to the church in Romans. A a, a road of sorts. Now the Romans were known for their roads. In fact, one of the great advancements in Roman technology were its roads. They developed a modern system of roads that was a precursor to our current highway system. And anyone that has, that has been around for a while can think back on our roads and our highway system. And you remember things before, right? You remember, many of you may remember before there was uh, a turnpike, I-44, connecting uh, Oklahoma City to Lawton and, and beyond. Many of you remember before, in fact, before there was an interstate at all, when there were other highways that, we, that, that folks traveled, when a highway like Highway 81 or Highway 62 was more of a main artery. But even before that, some of you can remember, you can access the memory banks going back even further than that, and you remember when 4th Street was 4th Street, not, not uh, Highway 81, right? And you can think back to days before our system of highways and, and all existed the way that it does now. The Romans were, were some of the first, really the first, to develop such technological advancements with these, these paved roads that connected their empire, and it made the movement of goods, the movement of troops, the movement of commerce much more available throughout their, their empire, through, through the land, the territory that they controlled. Paul is laying out a a road of sorts, but it's not just a road of commerce. It's a way of salvation that is here laid clearly, brick by brick, pavement stone by pavement stone, foundation by, by foundation, leading us to know and follow Jesus by faith. In this truth of the gospel, this Romans road, we see that we're all sinners. We see that we need a Savior. We understand that Jesus lived a perfect life that he suffered in our place, that he rose victorious from the dead, that he's coming again someday, and that all who trust in him will be saved. This is the way of salvation. This is the plan of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And we can identify with this truth as the people of God, as followers of Christ, as believers. We can identify with this truth. In fact, When we identify with this truth through placing our faith in Jesus, through trusting Jesus, as it says, by faith, then then we now, we access this, uh, this way of salvation. This truth of the gospel becomes more than just truth about a story, but it becomes personal for us. It becomes not just... Uh, the testimony of what God has done, but it becomes the testimony of our lives. As we humble ourselves before Jesus as Savior, and we surrender our lives to Him. In fact, when we humble ourselves before Him, that's where we find healing. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, that's where, that's where we, we begin to walk down this, this, this path toward holiness and sanctification as the Spirit empowers us to live by faith. As we humble ourselves by faith in Jesus... Now we can honor Christ as Lord as we live for him. So we see the truth of the gospel laid out. Not only that, we see the power of the gospel. Not just what the gospel is, but what the gospel does. 
the power of the gospel. He even says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God for salvation. That word salvation. That's a loaded term, isn't it? Salvation. We think of salvation, of course, and we understand that salvation means the forgiveness of sin. Not only does salvation mean that we have the forgiveness of sin, salvation here refers to the fact that we are given freedom from bondage, freedom from the bondage that comes because of our sin, our trespasses in sin. We are forgiven and we are set free. And then we have the promise of eternal life. And so it's a forever home. This this salvation that comes through faith in Jesus offers us forgiveness of sin. It offers us freedom from bondage. It offers us a forever home as we look to Christ in faith. But it's important that you understand as we talk about the power of God, the power of God to save us, the power of God to transform us, the power of God to make us new, that Jesus didn't die on the cross because you were bad and he came to make you better. Jesus died on the cross because you were dead and he came to make you alive. And the only way that you can be forgiven, the only way that you can receive this promise of eternal life is through faith in Jesus. The only way that you and I may have eternal life is by placing our faith in Jesus. By trusting in His power to forgive. His power, the same power Paul writes elsewhere in the book of Ephesians, that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you by faith. And so we trust in Jesus and everyone, and that's such an important word, everyone who believes in Jesus is saved. Paul rightly distinguishes here to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, in in saying that, what he means, and, and, and Greek here really should be understood as an inclusive term of everyone who's not Jewish. It's it's not just that salvation is only available for Jews and Greeks. But it means to the Jew first and then everyone else. And that's the, pla- the path through which God revealed and made himself known, right? First he, appeared to, first he appeared to Abraham and established his covenant with Abraham. And then through successive generations, he raised up his people and he promised that he would one day send a Messiah. That's exactly what he did at just the right moment. God sent Jesus who lived a sinless, perfect life and who willingly took our place, who died on the cross, who rose victorious from the dead. And now that that message is available to anyone, to everyone. But it's not just everyone. There are important parameters that are set in place here. To everyone who believes. And that's the key. That the gospel has power to save anyone. But it's only made available to those who believe in Jesus by faith. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then finally we see in verse 17 the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel. What does verse 17 point us to? It points us first of all to this phrase, the righteousness of God. 
The righteousness of God is revealed. In it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, those words, righteousness of God, that's a key term. In fact, it's, it's, important, it's going to be important throughout our study of the book of Romans that you understand this phrase, the righteousness of God. Because this word is used over and over, this phrase really, the righteousness of God. You can turn to Romans chapter 3 in verse 5. And then you can go to verse 21, and then verse 22, and then Romans 3.25, and Romans 3.26, again in Romans chapter 10, verse 3. And you're going to find this phrase, the righteousness of God. But a a similar term uh, of justification is going to be used throughout the book of Romans, and really throughout much of Paul's writings. But there are more references to this righteousness of God and this justification by faith in the book of Romans than all of the rest of Paul's writings combined. And so clearly this is one of the major themes in what Paul is writing, that we would understand the power of the gospel and that it's through believing in the gospel that we are made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith. And that's that's a key phrase as well, from faith for faith. Or as he writes in, again in Romans 3, in verse 25, that that he would be both just and the justifier, that he would be the one who makes the work known to us, but then also completes the work so that we can turn to him in faith. And as we trust in Jesus, as we place our faith in him, we can be forgiven of our sins and set free. You see, there are many people today who think that the gospel is sort of like the, it's like the ticket that gets you in the door. Last night, uh, I went with my dad and a couple of our kids to the International Finals Rodeo in Guthrie at the Lazy E Arena. This is something we do sometimes when it comes around because my dad's a big rodeo fan. And so his Christmas present from us were tickets to the International Finals Rodeo last night. You know, nowadays when you go to an event like this, you, oftentimes you have your tickets on your phone. And so I had tickets on my phone last night and we get to the place of course it's freezing cold outside and we're standing trying to huddle inside the door and and we're scanning you know you hold up your cone and your phone and they scan the QR code and then you swipe and they scan the next one and the next one and the next one right and eventually you but it's your ticket to get in and a lot of people think that the gospel is sort of like the ticket that gets you into faith. But I'm here to tell you, it's not just the ticket that gets us in. It's everything. It's the same power that saves us is the power that sustains us and the same power that will shape our lives as we trust in Jesus by faith. The gospel is everything. It's not just entrance in, so to speak, but it's everything that we need, everything that we are believing in, everything that we are trusting in. So that Paul even said in verse 15, To a group of believers, I'm anxious to come to you and preach the gospel. See, if the gospel were just what we needed to be saved, then there would be no reason for Paul to preach the gospel because he's he's preaching to the choir. He's preaching to a group of people who are already saved. But Paul says, I want to come to you and I want to preach the gospel to you because the gospel is everything that we need. The gospel changes everything because the gospel is everything for us. It saves us. It sustains us. It shapes our lives for His glory. We must commit to know and live in the gospel. But in order that we are talking about the same thing, in order that when we use this term gospel and and we're all talking about the same thing, I want to walk through the message of the gospel together this morning. Now, 
I've been your pastor for 16 years today, as a matter of fact. January the 16th, 2011 was the day that I preached in view of call here at Chickasha First. And so 11 years later, here I am, still standing in this place, still preaching. And numerous times in the last 11 years, I have presented to you this simple plan of salvation. In fact, when I first came as your pastor 11 years ago, on Sunday nights, we were doing these Bible study classes. And the first thing we did, the first class I led on Sunday nights was through a book written by a guy named Greg Gilbert that's just simply entitled, What is the Gospel? Because it's important that we, when we talk about the gospel that we're talking about the same thing because we don't always have the same understanding. We don't always mean the same thing when we're talking about the gospel. And so I want to give you four points as it relates to the gospel. And like, like a good preacher, I suppose, you're going to find that these points all rhyme so that it, all, it makes it easier to hold on to and remember, okay? But that's on purpose here. And, and to be fair, I've told you this before, I'll tell you again, I didn't come up with this. To be honest, I don't know where it came from. At some point in my past, this was presented to me, and I held on to it. And I don't know whose it is, so I don't know who to attribute credit to for it. I, I don't know anybody else that uses it. I'm the only one that I know of that, that uses these four points, at least the, the rhyming part of this, and puts it together this way. But but it's not mine, but it's, it's, the, it's the message of Jesus. It's the power of God revealed to us. And so here, here it is, the four points of the gospel. Now, by the way, Gilbert points out in his book that there are four elements of the gospel that we all need to understand. Who God is, who man is, what it is that God has done, and how it is that we're to respond. So God man, Jesus, and a response. Those are the points that Gilbert points to. But the way that I want to give it to you is this. It's his position, my condition, his provision, my decision. Those are the four points of the gospel. First of all, his position. We understand that God is holy and just. And as a holy and just God, as a righteous God, the righteousness of God that we're talking about here, that, that, uh, that he is, is completely pure, that he, was, he is sinless and perfect and he stands above reproach, outside of human history and time even. That he is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the maker of all things, and ultimately the savior of all who would call on him by faith. And in his position of righteousness, God will not, will not dismiss our sin. Which really points us to the second part, which is my condition. His position, God is holy and just. My condition is that I've sinned. I've rebelled against God. I've transgressed. I have chosen what I ought not to do. I have, I have turned my back against Him and I have rebelled against His law, rebelled against His authority. I have, I have sinned against Almighty God, against the holy and just God. The Romans road that we looked at makes it clear that the wages of sin is death. Because of my sin, what I deserve is death. But praise God, through Jesus, he's made a way of salvation available. That's the third point of the gospel. His provision. That God sent Jesus to live a sinless, perfect life. To offer himself on the cross as payment for our sin. Ultimately, to be raised victorious from the grave. Conquering sin and death. Thereby proving his power over the grave, over sin, and making a way for us to be forgiven and set free when we turn to Him in faith. 
His provision. God made a way that we might be saved. It's the good news. And the gospel is only truly good news when it gets to someone in time. Which is why it's important for us to share that message. It's why it's important for us to boldly declare, boldly preach, boldly proclaim this gospel truth. But then finally, of course, any understanding of these truths requires a response. And so it's my decision. You and I, we must make a choice of what we're to do with this truth. And to be clear, to choose to do nothing is a choice. If you choose not to respond in faith, that even of itself is a rejection of God's truth. You must either receive him by faith or you reject his truth and you continue living in your own strength, in your own power, in your own trespasses and sins. Everyone must decide. So we understand his position, my condition, his provision, which points ultimately to my decision. This is the message of the gospel. Praise God, by trusting in him, we can be forgiven and set free. Even as it says here, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We may live by faith in Jesus, the one who gave himself in order to pay the price for our sin and set us free. The one who saves, who sustains, who shapes our lives as we trust in him, sanctifies is maybe another word that we could use there. We can look to Jesus and we can be forgiven and set free. I wonder, has there ever been a moment in your life when you have turned to Jesus in faith? Has there ever been that moment when you have called on Him as Savior and Lord, where you have humbled yourself and surrendered your life to Him, receiving by faith this free gift of God made available through faith in Jesus Christ? Friend, if there's never been that moment, then when we move into our time of response, and as we stand together and sing in a few moments, I would encourage you, come and let us pray with you a prayer of faith, a prayer of surrender that you would make today the day that you call on Jesus as Savior and Lord. Today the day that you confess Him as Lord and Savior as you surrender your life to Him. Even while we're singing, Brad and I will be standing here at the front. We would love to pray with you and encourage you in that way. Today, you could surrender your life to Jesus. And so in a moment, we're going to move into that time of invitation. Maybe you're here today and you know for certain that you've called on Jesus as Savior and Lord. You know that you've trusted Him by faith, but God is still speaking to you today and He's reminding you. The gospel isn't just your ticket in. It's not just, it's not just something that you believe in and then you move on from. The gospel is everything. It's everything for us as believers because in it is the power of God for salvation. How are you living for the gospel? How are you sharing the message of the gospel? How are you serving as a a, a witness, a, a missionary to spread the gospel, to advance the gospel for the sake of Christ. Every one of us have been called by God. Called to faith first and foremost in Jesus and then called and sent on mission for His kingdom. How are you serving as a, as a missionary, an emissary, an ambassador of the gospel? 
And today, if the Lord's speaking to you, maybe He's laid someone specific on your heart. Maybe it's just a more general sense that you need to share. You need to, you need to get active. You need to, then friend, whatever that is, I want to encourage you that you would respond in obedience to the Lord. Listen to His Holy Spirit. Listen to that conviction. You can come while we're singing and you can use the steps of this stage as an altar where you might meet with the Lord this morning and you might surrender to Him anew, afresh in some areas. Lord, I want to give this to you. I want to commit this way to you. I want to, I want to take this step of, of action. Lord, I, I, I can, whatever it is, this could be the place where you offer your obedience to Him today that you say, Lord, I want to respond in obedience to you. And if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus today, would you come and take Brad or I by the hand? Let us pray with you and walk you through that, that moment of surrender, that moment of salvation as you trust Jesus by faith. Even now, I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. And as I lead us in a prayer, my, my prayer for us in this moment is going to be, God, continue to work, continue to speak. Holy Spirit, continue to move in our hearts. Draw us closer to you. Prompt us with your conviction. Lead us to know you and respond in obedience to you today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are so grateful that we can be forgiven and set free because of this message, because of the truth of this power which transforms and changes everything. And then, Lord, as we trust in you and, and, and we anchor our lives to this message of truth, we pray that you would use us, use us to love others and multiply disciples as we seek to live on mission for you. Holy Spirit, stir in our hearts, move in our midst today. We pray in your name. Amen. So we stand together this morning and sing the words of this song again. I want to call on you to respond in obedience as the Lord directs you today. We'll be here at the front. The altar is open. Whatever way God is speaking to you, would you respond by faith to him today as we sing?